Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. King Charles and Queen Camilla have been crowned. Prince Harry pays a flying visit and Omid Scobie gives evidence on Piers Morgan and phone hacking. I'm Jack Royston, Newsweek's Chief Royal Correspondent, and this is Newsweek's Royal Report. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the show. King Charles III and Queen Camilla were crowned on May 6th at Westminster Abbey in a religious ceremony with its roots in more than 900 years of history. And here to discuss it all is stylist to the stars, Miranda Holder. Hello, thank you so much for joining me. Now, I want to talk about the coronation fashions, but before we do, I just want to know your take on the whole weekend. Did you have your favorite bits, things that really made an impact for you? Hi, Jack. It's great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. I'm still getting over it. I have to say, I feel like this has been such a big event in all of our lives. I, and I was quite surprised at just how emotional I felt over the weekend. You know, it, it felt like we were really there with them. I know you and I were reporting on, on the whole situation. So we were really, really engaged. But even so, um, just such a monumental event to witness. So historic and so meaningful. And I think it was really wonderful whether you're a huge monarchist royalist or not, what there was overall was a sense of everyone coming together for this moment in time um, in some way, which I thought was so moving and so memorable. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm still still reveling in the fabulous memories that I have and catching new moments. You know, I'm going to have to rewatch it about three times because you, you can't take it all in, can you? It's the magnitude of it. Exactly. I think it was the music that really got me once the music started oh. playing inside the Abbey. And it, it's really interesting because Charles actually has very few memories from the Queen's coronation. But one of the things that did resonate and stay with him into adult life was the sound of the music. Uh, he said he mm. talked about like kind of glorious music and then the, the short haircut that he got, which is obviously very Charles to kind of be slightly annoyed at people fussing <laughs> around him. He talked about like the gunk put on his hair. But yeah, once the music started playing, I really understood why that resonated with, with him so much because really gets you in the chest doesn't it and it, oh, to, that handle piece at the moment yes. of crowning oh, yes. oh I, I feel like blasting it when i'm doing the housework go for it yeah why not of course we've got, we've got to mention prince louis as well the, the little legend oh, I know. <laughs> he's so lovely he was he? adorable wasn't he's such a sweetheart I, so he was just so well behaved i thought i know he pulled a few faces and had a little fidget but for a five-year-old just wonderful and his little outfit that little blue brocade tunic he wore was just divine Absolutely. He's um, he's a very expressive boy. And the thing with expressive children is that it can't always be good because children have a range of emotions. So there's going to be yeah. times when people kind of f- might frame it as bad behavior or whatever. But I mean, you can't have one without the other. And his expressiveness is so wonderful um, that I think that I, I don't even think of it as bad behavior. I just think of it as Louis being Louis. Um, I agree. Yeah. Fantastic. OK, right. Let's talk fashion. So shall we start with the Princess of Wales? I mean, I could write several coffee table books, I think, (laughs) on this particular topic because it was a masterclass from everyone. It was a veritable rainbow of styles and colours and felt a bit competitive at times amongst the guests, I think. You know, who could who could grab the most attention or look the most gorgeous? But yes, Kate, starting with Kate, possibly everyone's favourite, I think most people's favourite, because she just can't can't get it wrong um I, I think people have opinions and that's sometimes they feel like she dresses a little bit too conservatively or possibly slightly too old for her years both of which i understand um but there's actually a reason why she does that um normally which is partly the etiquette that she has to adhere to partly the fact that she is our future queen so she really has to be the ultimate role model she can't afford to have any um any faux pas whatsoever and then also i feel like because she's dressing slightly older 
um, it's so that she won't outgrow her clothes in, in, she's going to grow into her wardrobe rather than outgrow it. And I think this is something the palace do take into consideration far more than we realize is how the outfits will look 10 years on, 20 years on in the photographs. So it just is um, very timeless, a lot of her clothing. Having said that though, I got so excited on Friday evening. I was literally jumping up and down because for once, I thought, um, because her wardrobe has been more serious in particular recently since she became Princess of Wales. Um, we've seen a rise in the trouser suit, a rise in the business attire. Yes. She's, you know, really a woman on a mission very passionate about her causes and all credit to her for that. And then she seems to have a bit more fun in the evening, um, which is great. But I felt on the Friday um, that she actually looked younger, uh, quite a lot younger, I thought. So tell, tell um, us about this outfit and tell us about this event. So this is the reception, isn't it? Yes, this is the diplomatic reception at Buckingham Palace in the evening. Um, which I was still hanging out for a tiara moment. It, it didn't happen, sadly. I was stubbornly just hoping they were going to surprise us. But no. But instead, Kate wore this stunning cobalt blue, electric cobalt blue, actually. Um, quite sultry and clingy and seductive dress by high street brand uh self-portrait so it wasn't a, it wasn't affordable brand straight away it was a, a slightly more achievable look for people to go out and emulate or even buy themselves which i think had obviously been taken into account um the dress on the peg if you look at the models on the internet and things has got quite a risque thigh high split um and a little bit of a keyhole in the the chest area as well i'm pretty sure that was all sewn up because that happens a lot with kate she'll get things modified just to make it more royal appropriate but even so she looked phenomenal. It was slightly 80s inspired. It was very figure hugging. Um, the color was incredible on her. She literally glowed. And then she had this new hairdo, which I also got so excited about. Um, because she had these beautiful Hollywood style, uber glamorous waves on one side and her, her hair was swept over. And the way she was wearing it really softened her face. I mean, she's a beautiful woman, but she has quite angular, an angular face. And this made her face look rounder. And she just looked that the result was she looked so much younger. And I think what, what I really loved was you could tell that she knew she looked good. And that's great. That's a great feeling as a woman when you're, when you're in an outfit that just get, makes you feel fantastic. You've got that extra spring in your step, your posture changes, and you've got this huge wide beaming grin. And she had the most fantastic smile all night. And I think just looked wonderful. So why do you think she chose that specific event for such a fantastic outfit? I suppose that was the moment when world leaders, that's that's almost exhibiting Britain to the world, isn't it? A diplomatic reception. And there were big names, I think, at that event. Yes. Yeah, we, we had um, many of the royals there that were going the following day. And um, I'm, I understand some royals that couldn't make the actual coronation went to that event. So it was very much a world stage. It was properly kicking things off internationally. That that was the event that really started it. Although we saw her out and about the day before at the Dog and Duck in, in Soho, which I loved in her bright red um, Epinine coat. And then her whole, whole outfit actually was red, white and blue. If you look carefully enough, subtly, I thought that was super. And then, of course, we had white, uh, blue and then red later over the weekend. So she kept her outfit absolutely on brand. Very, very patriotic. And yeah, this this event was it, it was the start of the weekend with a bang. So she gave us something different, which made everyone sit up and give her our attention. I certainly did. I couldn't take my eyes off her. And it was just great to see that she had another trick in her little style repertoire. Um, she could pull something else out of the bag when she wanted to, which keeps us guessing, keeps us excited. And indeed, I can't wait to see other moments like this from Kate and what else she's got up her sleeve. 
And she, of course, th- this was when she met Jill Biden, and she was also photographed. She was photographed with Jill and the pre- the uh, Ukrainian first lady Alina Zelenska. So you've got to think that th- she must have known that that picture would probably get a lot of pickup in America. So she was going to get an audience for that particular occasion that went much further afield than even the. I mean, the dog and duck. She she looked fantastic, and it was a great job. I loved that job that they did. Um, <laughs> it was brilliant. It was brilliant, wasn't it? I love seeing that you've seen them. You know, go go to the pub for a pint. It's fantastic. Um, but yeah, you've got to think that the eyes of the world would be on her that day and to a much greater extent, I think. Um, and so talk, talk, us, talk to us about the actual coronation outfit. So obviously this must be quite difficult for Kate because she had to wear the mantle of the Royal Victorian Order on top of her dress, um, which I suppose gives her far less control. But she still, I think, looked phenomenal. And that I mean, I want to know your opinion on the headpiece as well. It was mistaken by some for a tiara, not a tiara, but looked incredible. Again, where to start on this outfit because there's so much to talk about. Um, I mean, I loved Kate on Friday. I thought she looked really radiant and glowing, but actually on the Saturday, um, looking back through all the photographs, particularly those shots of her looking um, out through the, the the rain spattered windows of the carriage that she arrived in or the taxi. I think it was a carriage, wasn't it? Um, I thought she looked the most beautiful and just breathtaking than I have ever seen her before. She's, she seems to grow in beauty every day. I don't know what her secret is. We all want a slice of that. Thank you very much. But just, she looked utterly, utterly regal, angelic, divine. Um, and it all worked, didn't it? We were so, so excited to see what she was going to wear. Obviously she had a little bit of a uh, sort of a, a tricky line to tread sartorially. There was a little bit of chatter about um, her not upstaging the king and queen because it's very much their day um, as it was. And I don't think she did. There, there was no sort of, it didn't feel competitive. It just felt perfectly complimentary to me because obviously um, she and William are, if you like, the new stars and the future stars of the monarchy. And they're very much now, I feel, just a couple of steps behind the king and queen in terms of their importance of their role. And I thought her clothes reflected that perfectly. Um, the mantle looked stunning. The dress, obviously, we couldn't see on the day. There have now been the portraits released, which then triggered the whole mystery, the mystery of the Kate <laughs> dress and what was she wearing? Because if you look closely on the photos of the day in the ceremony, she's got that be- the beautiful robe on. But then you can see a high neck with silver embroidery um, on the dress and you can see the embroidery around the cuffs and and the hemline. But then in the photographs, the official photographs of the day, we see a V-neck. So it's completely different. So I've done a little bit of research. And although this isn't a definitive answer, because the designer hasn't personally told me, the consensus that seems to make the most sense to me as a as a stylist as well, someone that styles people for red carpet events and works with sort of recording artists and things that have to change several times in a night, a bit like Kate might have to. I definitely don't think there were two dresses. Right. Okay. Um, I, another theory was that she was wearing the same dress backwards. I definitely, as a stylist, you'd never get your client to, to put a dress on backwards, let alone a princess. No, that's not going to work. Um, my best educated sort of guesstimate, but I, I've, I've heard this from several sources, is that there was an extra piece right. to the dress that was very cleverly in, incorporated to protect what she was wearing because, of course, she had the King George the Fourth festoon necklace on, which is, we don't for sure know whether she popped that on just for the photographs or not. She could have done. Um, but if she hadn't, it needed protecting. It's a three stand, a three strand antique diamond necklace that obviously is it's worth a, sh- a small fortune um but also to protect the actual dress itself because those um the mantle she was wearing contained wire and various sort of complicated knots and some quite sort of heavy equipment if you like to keep the whole thing in place and pull the whole thing together so the last thing we would have wanted was for this beautiful glorious alexander mcqueen uh, gown to get ruined and also just any wardrobe malfunctions so mm. things slipping around and and, and falling out etc etc um so that's what i'm going for and then in terms of the actual dress it it was very very simple um, the lines were exquisite. I'm going to be honest, it's not my favourite look on Kate by a long shot. Um, so tell me why. Which goes back. 
Because, well, you know, I was so excited about her looking fresh, younger and modern on the Friday night, which I thought was just such a lovely change. And I know she has to be classic and traditional and regal at times. And she really was for the coronation in this gown. If I'm honest, I thought it was a little bit too large for her. Okay. Um, I think that was, yeah, I think that was just probably the, the cut of the dress, but it seemed to be too large. I know it was made like that to look classic and timeless in photographs in the future. That's why beautiful lines. I just feel like we could have done something better. It was a carbon copy by the color and material of a, an Alexander McQueen black gown that came Kate wore, um, to a reception in 2019. And I didn't love that one. I just felt it was a bit austere. And I yeah. think that's the word I would use actually austere. Um, despite the beautiful embroidery and, and everything on it, which was just glorious. Yes, it was embroidered, um, I think, with uh, fl- uh, flowers representing the four nations of the UK, uh, England, right. Scotland, Ireland and Wales. Yeah, yeah. so we had the, the Tudor rose, the shamrock, um, and what was into the thistle and the daffodil rather than the leek. Yes, and I've noticed that yes, too, yeah. I want to know when this changed over, because obviously <laughs> we've got the whole Queen's coronation gown story, that when Sir Norman Hartnell almost had a heart attack when he found out he had to pop a leak on this work of art. You know, he, he almost abandoned the whole project and had a bit of a panic attack over the whole thing. And then he realised that he could make it look beautiful. But obviously now they are allowed to put a daffodil on instead. So I, I wonder when this happened and changed. And just for a bit of background for our US listeners. So the symbol of Wales has always been the leak. That's, the, that's what the country was known by. And now they're doing the daffodil instead, which I think will be, like you say, a sigh of relief to <laughs> royal <laughs> Embroiderers everywhere. <laughs> but tell, it's a prettier thing, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It is. Now, tell me also about Kate's earrings. Yes, the earrings. So, actually, she gave a little a little tribute, as only a royal can do so beautifully. She paid tribute with her outfit to King Charles, the late Princess Diana, and the late Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. So through she honored Queen Elizabeth through wearing her um diamond festoon necklace um which obviously the queen was very very fond of she wore it on many occasions including the state opening of parliament um so that was a lovely way to remember the late queen then she honored her um would be well her her mother-in-law uh, Diana by wearing her beautiful uh, pearl earrings and these are stunning earrings that Diana wore a lot as well herself when Kate received them, she changed the pearl. Um, and that pearl part actually is removable. So Diana had them in quite an 80s style with quite a big, bold pearl on the bottom. And Kate swapped them out for something much more Kate. She's more um, sort of refined, I suppose, in her jewellery taste and prefer things to be slightly more classic and pulled back. So it's more delicate. Um, and they also come apart. So you can wear them as a stud if you wanted to or the drop. But that was a lovely way, I thought, to honour honor Princess Diana. And then finally, her headpiece, um, she honoured uh, our new king because it was made by someone I know, actually, Jess Collette, who is a very, very talented milliner in London and has done the most incredible work. In fact, she's worked with Duchess Sophie before, but not uh-huh. Kate. It was her first collaboration with Kate. Um, and Jess, for those who don't know, received a grant from the Prince's Trust Fund many moons ago with which she was able to start her amazing business. Um, and it's lovely that she's sort of giving back now by making one of the most eagerly anticipated components of the whole day because we were all just wondering whether Kate was going to wear a tiara or yes. not, weren't we? It was just oh, <laughs> the, the debates going on. And this was apparently at Charles's request that they didn't. He apparently said no tiaras. So I'm not sure what the story is there. I don't know if it was simply because he didn't want it to be that formal. He was trying to make it more modern, which we we know the ceremony was modernized and streamlined in many ways, or whether he personally just doesn't like them. Maybe there's another story behind mm. that. Maybe it'll surface um, at some point in the future. But then we had the story at the end of last week about the flower crown. Oh, yes. That people thought that, she was going to wear flowers. Yeah. 
Yes. And I was all of a sudden envisaging this sort of boho Glastonbury <laughs> festival style flowers in their hair. Because actually, if you look at the history of coronations in Europe, some European royals do have sort of floral, not dissimilar to that, floral arrangements in their hair. And I just thought, no, 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 you can't do this. You know, I, I actually um, did think the same as you, because there was also this thing that they brought loads of flowers from all across the United Kingdom into the Abbey to decorate it in order to kind of symbolically bring the countryside into the city and you know the the rural world that Charles loved so much but and also obviously the invite was very floral as well the coronation invitation mm-hmm. was like, was very floral so i thought like you i think it was in the times that first reported it if i recall correctly yes it was yes and so i thought yeah like you i made the same boho connection and i thought well look i'll give him the benefit of the doubt until i see it but i don't know i don't know if i like the sound of it so far <laughs> no thank goodness thank goodness they didn't and actually what pure genius was this i thought it's the closest we're going to get to a tiara without having yeah. an, an actual yeah, tiara yeah. many people preferred it um it was obviously much lighter more comfortable to wear it was mostly fabric with three-dimensional silver thread and bullion and all sorts of amazing embellishment um it was made specifically for kate so it would perfectly jess would have looked at her face shape her proportions and made something that was perfectly suited for kate and i believe that this headpiece was one of the reasons that kate looked quite so breathtakingly beautiful on the day because the dimensions were just perfect yes fantastic now we should talk a little bit about the children as well you did mention louis outfit earlier let's talk about louis let's talk also though about princess charlotte because i thought she looked she was starred very similarly to kate but she looked phenomenal as well i think she did and so grown up um again she behaved beautifully and i think seemed you know looking at her at the concert and at every event that she attended she just seems so much more aware now of what's going on and the cameras and and her role both currently and looking towards the future um and she looked absolutely adorable her um caped gown was also made by sarah burton at the queen um, of course, Sarah Burton made Kate's uh, wedding gown as yep. well. So they already have a, a great relationship, which is lovely. There was some embroidery as well. It was just a sort of a slightly more scaled back version of Kate's really with that matching silver headpiece too that co- that coordinated perfectly with Kate. And then her little white Mary Jane shoes just finishing off the whole outfit perfectly. And um, it was just lovely. And it was typical Wales is the Wales family are the best at colour coordinating and it's sort of what they do without even thinking I think they, they sort of get dressed in the morning and they all come down for breakfast this is what I imagine anyway they all come down for breakfast and go oh we've all decided to wear blue today or purple today or whatever because they're always presenting this unified united front and they are super super tight um, and it just looks gorgeous and Charlotte as you say looked stunning Yes, I think when they're older, Charlotte, Louis and George will look back at the old photos of of William and Harry when they were kids and be very grateful for Kate's, some of Kate's sartorial choices. <laughs> yes, dressed a little bit more classically, definitely, yeah. rather than, you know, in the full 80s, 80s and 90s fashion. And um, Louis was dressed, like you said, in a blue doeskin tunic, which was made, I think, and um, tell me if I pronounced this correctly, Deej and Skinner. Yes, that's right. Yes, Yes, one of our wonderful Savile Row tailors. Um, And he looked really smart. It was sort of military inspired. So he looked a bit like uh, Princess Anne or sort of there was a there was a little bit of inspiration there, I I think. And very, very smart in dark blue. Just really, really gorgeous. It must have been quite hard. I would have thought to wonder, sort of decide what to put Louis in. Um, Because a suit wouldn't have cut it. You know, he needed something that felt more ceremonial. Um, Obviously, you know, William and others were in um, military wear as well. It's it was, I think, a hard choice, but they found the perfect solution. I absolutely love the royal military inspired fashion. Obviously, Kate has done this a number of times. Princess Diana as well, though, had that fantastic white um, outfit with the kind of gold epaulettes and uh, majorettes oh, yes. designs on the front. That's- Oh, that was stunning. The Catherine Walker and, and the hat to match the whole thing and the gloves and the clutch. It was a masterclass in almost a little bit camp, actually, yes. I would say, but in a really good way. <laughs> it's actually one um, of my favourite Princess Diana outfits, I think, if that's not sacrilege, because really? obviously there are so many phenomenal ones, but I've always loved the military inspired ones. I agree. I agree. And whenever Kate wears it, as you say, 
it's actually such a refreshing change from the more classic looks that we know her more for. Um, there's sort of a little bit of edge there and, and something else to look at. So there's another dimension that it brings, I feel. Now, they had much less choice, of course, for Prince George because he had a very special role to perform on the day as a page of honour to Charles. So he was wearing a scarlet tunic. This is a kind of standard page of honour um, outfit for royal family members. Um, but he still looked fantastic nonetheless, even though they couldn't choose it themselves. Yep, he looked lovely. I thought he behaved beautifully. I love the cheeky photos where he's with the other pages on the balcony and they're, you know, they're all pointing, I would imagine, to the fly past and the helicopters and all that sort of thing. And just being just wonderful and behaving so well. Again, that was a big responsibility, but he will remember that day for the rest of his life. And and what a day and what a role he had. And that role was carrying the the king's the train on his robe, but also on the Buckingham Palace balcony, the pages of honour were really given a very prominent position. He was actually closer to the king and queen consort than William was and Kate, because they had the king and the queen consort on the middle, and then they had the pages of honour on either side coming out, and then they had yes. the other royal family members on the outside. Yeah, they had four each, didn't they? So it was it was quite the display. The balcony didn't look as empty as I had bit, thought it might. <laughs> yeah, no, oh, you're right, because we heard all of this stuff about how slimmed down it was going to be, and then everyone was... Well, not everyone, obviously. Harry was not there, but the Queen's cousins were there. So, the, and the, the Yorks were not, but the Queen's cousins were. So, it was actually quite mm-hmm. a packed balcony in the end. But also, it was not just Coronation Day. There was the Coronation Concert on the Sunday at Windsor Castle. And I absolutely loved Katy Perry's gold gown for that. <laughs> she looked incredible. I mean, that's not a frock. You want to sort of sit down and have dinner in, is it? Let's face it. I don't don't know how comfortable it was, but it looked amazing. Vivian Westwood, I mean, a much celebrated uh, designer here in the UK. We all adore her. We all miss her. She's amazing. Um, And it was utterly iconic, I think, and just did the job so well. It was a look at me, I am on stage kind of a dress, um, a bit of a show stealer. And actually, I was pleased to see Katie... I think win back a few style points because I do think she got it very wrong on the coronation day, I have to say. Um, as much as we all love her. And it was great. I loved all the photos of her, of her taking photos of herself and then (laughs) selfies of, you know, with the fans and everything. I thought they were brilliant, but actually I don't think her outfit worked at all. Um, I don't think it fitted very well. Um, and to be honest, this is, this is my, my critical stylist's eye. I wanted to, to be there with her, whisk her off to the loo and readjust her skirt because everything had got rocked up and a bit crumpled. And it just, and then you, the whole outfit, you know, if you don't get the undergarments right and the structure of the outfit right, then whatever's on the top is just not going to work, however expensive it is or stylish it is. And I felt like the foundations of that look weren't quite right, plus the colour wasn't ideal for her um so talk our listeners through the color talk us a little bit through what the outfit looked like for those who haven't seen it okay so katie perry um beautiful woman went again for vivian westwood one of our fabulous homegrown designers here and she was wearing sort of a slightly 1940s inspired skirt suit in a lilac color which um despite her faux tan and i'm talking with a very critical stylist's eye here so i'm not taking katie perry apart far from it but i'm just being very analytical in terms of if i was in charge of this this is what i would have done um and katie had lots and lots of faux tan on which she needed but still i felt the color washed her out so it was a poor choice um from that perspective and the suit didn't fit brilliantly so we had she had a bodice on underneath um, and then a, a short sleeve jacket on over the top with quite a low scooped neckline and buttons. But the, the buttons were straining, so they didn't fit brilliantly. There were alterations there that were required. And then she had a pencil skirt on and coordinating opera gloves. Um, the opera gloves, great, bit of fun, bit of theatre. She is, after all, a, an artist and, you know, needs to make a statement. Um, but the skirt was very, appeared very crumpled and creased and actually um, sort of rucked up. So it needed, I think, her undergarments or whatever, per petticoats, as we'd say in the UK, might have needed sorting out. Um, I did love her choker, though. She was wearing a three-strand 
uh, pearl choker also by Vivian Westwood. And the centerpiece on the choker was a piece of jewellery, some sort of golden diamante. And it was um, the, the globe with a ring around it and a cross on top. So quite reminiscent of the scepter um, that obviously yes. was going to be used in the service. So I thought that was very good. Um, and then she had a huge saucer hat on as well. Um, so I don't know who sat behind her, but I can imagine they weren't very happy. But that's a risk you take at something like this because the, yes. the crowd, the congregation were awash with hats, weren't they? Yeah. And I guess, you know, it's a big day. It's the time to look after number one and make sure you look good and not worry about the person behind you. <laughs> Get seen at the expense of others. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But I also loved, um, I know we're going to chat a bit about the concert in a minute, but, but back to the day, because there's just so much to talk about. And I, I did love the fact that we were treated to the national dress as well. I thought that was just wonderful to see and really, it was obviously very important to Charles for, for it to be a multicultural, yes. multi sort of ethnic event. Um, and it was wonderful to see people like the Queen of Thailand turn up in her beautiful Marine Navy, um, sort of tunics with her, uh, yellow sash looking so beautiful. And then what I loved about her outfit is that she had these killer, and I mean killer silver stilettos that must have been, I don't know, six inches high or something. So, but just to bring the whole thing into modernity and, you know, make a really beautiful contrast with her more traditional dress. I thought that was stunning. Um, I loved the fact that the Empress of Japan wore her national dress and forgive me for saying flip-flops and socks, but that in the Western world is how we would describe yeah, it. There's no, obviously for a, sure. a name for it. Um, but I loved the fact that she did that. It was just wonderful for all of us Westerners to see because we don't get treated to that very often. Um, and then I also loved the Queen of Bhutan, who herself is a very beautiful, beautiful woman. Um, and I thought she looked lovely in her lavender traditional dress as well and, and really pretty. So that was great to get that sort of variety in there. Um, and then plus, um, some of the African ladies. So the, the wife of the king of Etswatini, if I have said that correctly, um, which apparently is the smallest country in Africa, she was a vision in pink. She had ruffles going on galore. It was literally a more is more approach. They had this huge pink printed dress with loads of ruffles around, um, the, the neckline. And it was the most gorgeous sort of big A-line shape and it was a real show stealer. So she obviously, you know, really invested in her outfit and looked amazing. And then we had the Queen of Lesotho who also absolutely made business and she was power dressing away in the most beautiful off the shoulder sort of sculptural, um, what color sort of sapphire blue gown, these amazing voluminous sleeves, huge oversized cuffs, which really added drama and this beautiful skirt, which sort of billowed out as she walked, billowed out behind her, which just really, really made a statement. So lots of variety at the coronation. And then can I talk about my fashion favourites, Jack? I would, do you know what? I was just going to ask you total fa number one favourite <laughs> outfit from the whole weekend. I'll give you a couple. So I loved Queen Letitia, okay. um, Queen Letitia of Spain, who was wearing the most beautiful sort of bubblegum pink Carolina Herrera outfit. Um, and what I love about her is that she is not afraid to dress sort of a little bit younger and some people would then try and add that whole mutton dressed as lamb moniker which is absolute rubbish because you should just dress what, what makes you feel happy and what you look good in and more importantly feel good in and my goodness did this woman look amazing the the length of the pencil skirt was sort of just above the ankle and was really elongating and dramatic her pink heels again were Powering, um, and then she had this fabulous jacket that was buttoned up with a peplum. So that's the sort of the ruffled fare that goes around the waist and um, just at the hem, which just again creates a bit of drama, really um, fills out that silhouette. And then the most beautiful hat, which was a bit like, I don't know, a bit like a flying saucer on her head, actually. So this upside down, huge, sizable, again, drama. Um, I read, I think it was Lisa Armstrong in the Telegraph wrote, it was like having her own sort of, it was the milliner's alternative to have your, having your own permanent soft lighting, which I thought was really good. Um, you know, just throwing her into a little bit of flattering shade the whole time. But yes. I thought she looked so elegant. Um, and then unusually for me, 
But I loved her look. I loved what Megan Biden wore. Um, she was with her, her mum, Jill, and Jill wore blue Ralph Lauren, which was lovely, periwinkle blue. And Finnegan wore this lemon yellow Marcarian, if I'm saying that correctly, because I'm not familiar with the designer myself. But it was this beautiful caped dress. And again, I'm going to come back to that word, which I think I've used three or four times now, but the drama of the cape and the contrast of the flowiness of the cape that was part of that dress with the slinky fitted skirt was just perfection. And then she also took a trick out of the Queen and actually Kate Middleton style book and wore head to toe single colour, as did Queen Letitia. So we saw lots of monochrome outfits, which is what we would term this, which is literally when everything head to toe is the same shade. And it does just create such a powerful, striking impact. It looks stunning. All right, we're going to take a quick break. But before we do, a reminder to rate and review The Royal Report in Apple Podcasts or on Spotify or wherever you get your favourite shows. And when I'm back, we cannot talk about the coronation without talking about Prince Harry's attendance. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the show. Now, we've talked about the working royals. Now, let's talk about Prince Harry and also Meghan, who did not make it. Now, Harry came in for a flying blink-and-you'll-miss-it visit. Um, He left so fast that he was actually spotted at Heathrow Airport before the king and queen had completed their balcony appearance when they, they stepped out onto the balcony of Buckingham Palace in their crowns and watched this fly past by the Royal Air Force. Um, So part of the reason for that might well be that it was Archie's fourth birthday, and so no doubt he was eager to get back to his family. I think he did wind up touching down in California just about in time that he might have seen Archie before he went to bed, but also in that kind of, you know, evening window when you might want to get the kids down. But Megan stayed at home with Archie and Liddy, so they had their mother with them. Now, Miranda is still with me. Miranda, Harry wore Dior to the coronation. Now, Harry, he did. Megan, they clearly get on very well with Dior. They, yes, absolutely. And, and the rumours are flying, really, with, with uh, Dior and the Sussexes. So Meghan, I believe, was the first of the pair to really uh, embrace the brand Dior. And she did look beautiful. And she's, there are three very iconic looks that she wore. One when she was heavily pregnant and she had this sort of ivory-coloured floor-length gown uh, with a cape, which was very, very elegant. Um, a, a short black look by Dior. And then probably most famously, she wore head-to-toe ivory Dior at the Queen's Jubilee um, and looked, I thought, quite Hollywood in it. I felt it was quite a little bit showier, that look, than how we are used to seeing our British royals um, dress. And there's nothing wrong with that. She brought some Hollywood glamour, actually, to the occasion, I felt. Um, but it didn't quite, I, I think she showed herself as a little bit of an outsider from dressing in that way. And to be honest, I felt like she was actually using it as us women or as people, in fact, can do. I'm not going to say just women. Use sometimes dress, use our clothes and our makeup as a little bit of armour um, to protect ourselves from people or situations. And I feel that Megan was doing that with that amazing outfit that she wore. It felt like armour to me. Um, and obviously, we know this situation. It was it was very hard for them at that time for everyone. So just to, um, just to unpack that then, a little bit, do you mean that yes, Megan yes. kind of knew that she was dressing outside of the ordinary for royals, not that royals ever aim for ordinary, but outside of what's expected in order to kind of 
No, I don't. <laughs> Just to cut, to cut you off straight away. No, no, no the opposite, that's all right. Do, the opposite, do explain. <laughs> no, go for it. Go for it. Do explain. I think she was trying her hardest. I think she tried her hardest throughout. You know, obviously, this is such an emotive and subjective subject and everyone's got an opinion. And actually, the truth is no one is going to know really what went on behind closed doors. So we can only surmise. But my thoughts are that she was trying so hard to make it work, so hard to fit in and wear something. Okay, I say fit in. The Dior was very conspicuous, but she wanted to get it right. She wanted to be taken seriously. Um, so she went for this look thinking it would have, would go down well and cut her out and, or pick her out as being very stylish and fashionable and paying, um, her respects through her fantastic outfit to the queen, you know, doing the right thing. But actually, I, I believe that unknowingly she made not the wrong decision, but her decision to go for Dior at the Jubilee made her stand out even more as an outsider because Kate would never have worn Dior. Um, and I know she's not trying to be Kate, but Kate is definitely the leader when it comes to wearing the appropriate attire for the right occasion. And as we said earlier, very, very rarely gets it wrong. Um, but you wouldn't really see a working, uh, royal family member wear Dior at an event like that. It does tend to be, there is always the odd exception, but it does tend to be the best of British fashion. Um, so she just sort of, stood out she stood out possibly for some of the wrong reasons it was a Mm. very glamorous outfit but i felt it was more hollywood if you like more elizabeth taylor than queen elizabeth it would have been more at home in a a fantastic all american glamorous event rather than amongst our slightly more understated quiet luxury that we're known for in the rules which also gets criticism because sometimes people feel that kate is a little bit boring or conservative there are both ends of the spectrum um, and then I feel like she subconsciously shielded herself with that outfit. It was quite an outfit. There was the big hat. It was a quite a structured coat with the belt and all the bits and pieces. I, it just felt to me like armor, um, an extra barrier between her and the world, which I can relate on, you know, relate to. I tell my clients and I live by this myself. If you're feeling low, put some extra lippy on, put your best yeah. dresses on, put your, those yeah, yeah. amazing shoes on and you'll feel better. Um, but it does create a barrier. And I think that's what she did. And Dior tweeted about Harry's outfit. Do you think that that indicates a kind of partnership between the Sussexes and Dior? As in a kind of... I think, yeah, I think it could. I think it really could. And this wouldn't be the first time a royal has collaborated um, with a uh, uh, a super brand or a designer. We have seen royal model in the past, um, so it's not a it's not a totally unusual thing. And I think that Harry and Meghan would make great ambassadors for the brand. Why not? Um, there is chat that they need to generate some extra revenue, and it would make sense. I'm sure Tor would pay them very handsomely for their services and for for being such great um, sort of clothes models or clothes horses for them. Um, but I think it was slightly controversial, or perhaps telling that Harry chose to wear Dior for the coronation. It might have just been the most convenient option. And actually, I sense that's the reason why he wore it, particularly if they're doing a lot of work with the brand in whatever capacity. Um, He would have had access or a lot of access to Dior. Um, But of course, it, it was not a British designer. So the form really is that everyone wears and embraces and supports the best of British at a highly British, historic, unique occasion like coronation. Um, and the fact that he sort of didn't get that fashion memo or chose to ignore it, um, I think also just is another way of of showing, sadly, how big that rift is yeah. um, between he, him and the rest of the family, which is so sad, so yeah. desperately sad. Absolutely. And I suppose it is worth just noting in passing that while it might be not unheard of, but also rare to have quite such a kind of formal brand partnership, the royals do generally kind of get some a substantial sum of money off the clothes they buy. And so I guess it is only an extension of a degree of partnership that always exists with royal fashion. I mean, we find out the, who made the clothes the royals wear. Um, it is getting an outfit at a discount is a kind of payment, in, not, not payment, but it's not like the rest of the royals are going and paying market value for all of the clothes they're buying. Um, so it's taking it a step further, but it is a path that's already gone down, if that makes sense. 
Yes, yes. I mean, if it's anything like the the celebrities and things that I work with, then most designers fall over themselves to loan clothes. Yeah. Very often, they're yeah. just loaned for sort of one off occasions and things. Um, Lady Kitty Spencer is the lady I was trying to think about earlier. <laughs> by the way, she's a very well known model. But we, there are plenty in the family who have who have gallied in fashion. So perhaps Harry and Meghan are going that way too. And uh, do you think that, I mean, it, I felt it was a shame that Megan didn't come just because I would have loved to have seen what she would have worn. Well, yes, from, from a purely fashion perspective, first and foremost, which is how I always approach things, um, it was devastating because, um, okay, Kate and Sophie et al, Princess Anne, they all made up for it and looked phenomenal. Camilla, of course, with her beautiful Bruce Oldfield gown, that was just absolutely exquisite, I thought. But... It would have been just so fun to see what Megan would have worn. Um, and she just brought a little bit of extra X factor to the whole occasion. It was lovely having two young couples at the fore of the family who, and they just made it so exciting with their choices. Um, I, I think we miss the Fab Four. I really yeah. do. I, I'm, yeah. I genuinely hope that one day things will, will come back. I know that's a little bit of a reach, but I was praying for Tiara's that I'm going to pray for a reconciliation between that four. Why not? <laughs> I think you're not the only one, but it might take more than prayers, unfortunately. But um, we might get to see Megan quite soon because she has two awards galas in May. So she's getting a Women in Vision Award is the first one. And then after that, she's picking up a Gracie for her podcast archetype. So obviously, they, Harry and Megan have had a bumpy ride over the last few months. Reputationally, Spare precipitated a, well, I mean, their reputation in Britain had substantially collapsed already it got worse in america they took a big dip too now what advice would you give to megan going into these two big high profile public appearances how do you think she should play it i would follow on from photograph we saw a photograph of her recently looking a little bit different do you recall the one it was on social media i believe yes this was so this was kind of social media only wasn't it there weren't live pictures by professional photographers this was a video appearance i I think it was it was um recommending their photographer miss Anne harriman wasn't it she introduced yes that's right yes she's sort of giving a testimonial type thing on social media and she had she looked a little bit different she had straight hair people were sort of guessing whether she'd had a little bit of work done a few tweakments here and there or whatever but it just seemed to be the energy somehow was different and that as a stylist this is what i would recommend that she does if she is genuinely sure that we are moving in a new direction and we want to leave everything behind including the negative reputation that she has got from from some people, as you mentioned, they're not are not the most popular couple at the moment. Uh, Megan in particular has had so much criticism, and on my TikTok, goodness, if I post a video <laughs> about her, the haters that come on. I mean, my goodness, yes. it's yeah. so strong. Um, I feel for her. It feels like a witch hunt sometimes. I don't think everyone is is evil through and through. She may have made mistakes, but she's human, you know. I think, I think TikTok we can forget has become, that sometimes. TikTok has become particularly bad for that. I think, which is really counterintuitive. You, I kind of initially thought of TikTok as being a space that was much more just funny and lighthearted and less vicious. But actually, it's now the place where some of, I think, the most kind of like over the top and toxic narratives about Megan get the biggest, biggest yes. audiences. Yeah, exactly. I think we forget they're human beings. and We're all human. We all make mistakes. We've all done things we're not proud of. And who knows? We can't vouch for how we would have behaved in that situation. We just can't. And we don't know the full situation. But getting back to your question, as a stylist, I would absolutely suggest a full rebrand. Let's move on. Let's reinvent Megan and let's let's just go for it. And it would be something fairly major to get everyone talking, like going blonde, for example. Oh, wow. And wearing something, <laughs> yeah, you know, or getting them or going red or something. Let's change your hair. I mean, it's a cliche, isn't it? You break up with someone, yes. you get your hair cut. Well, she's broken up with the royal family. Let's get, let's cut her hair get or do something drastic with it. And let's change her look. She's got a tricky body shape. She's beautiful. She's very slender, but she has got a slightly tricky body shaped dress because she's got a very short torso which means that sometimes outfits don't sit right on her. So everything needs to be bespoke. Um, everything needs to be absolutely made to measure in order for her to look her best. And she looks great in sort of column dresses, monochrome, one pieces, I think, look particularly good on her. But um, just go for it. Wear something completely different. Let's change the feel and let's take her into a new direction. 
Fantastic. I love it. Um, now, I just want to ask you one more tiny thing, which is, or I say tiny, it's not tiny. <laughs> that was a lie. <laughs> I want to ask you one more thing, which is so much discussion over the last few years about the flower girl dresses and the dispute between Megan and Kate. Now, obviously, in Harry's book, we got a little bit more information about it, which included that Kate contacted Megan and suggested that um, Princess Charlotte's bridesmaids dress uh, didn't fit. This is right, right before the royal wedding. Harry and Meghan's wedding didn't fit. It was too baggy, and the whole thing needed to be remade. And Meghan was telling Kate, "Just go to the tailor who's doing everybody's and get it adjusted." Now, what's your take on this? Was Kate being unreasonable? Is it possible to do that to a bespoke chore dress? What's your take on it? Absolutely, within reason. There should be fit checks um, right up until the day before the event. So obviously I wasn't there. I'm, I'm not party to everything that happened. It was possible for there to be alterations. And really a designer with a, a, a growing child should account for that and be able to let things out or take things in. Um, I think it was a symptom of the underlying issue between, well, the Fab Four again, really. Um, I don't think they're getting on particularly well. Anyway, it was a bit of an excuse. It's like, you know, I'm having a row with my husband over how he likes his coffee, but the real problem is something something much bigger than that or yes. whatever. As a very, It's a terrible example, but I think, you know, what I'm saying, I think it was literally just everything had got so fraught. And there's also a big cultural difference between Kate and Meghan. And I, th- I don't think this helped them. That You know, this, the tale of Meghan meeting uh, Kate for the first time and going in for a massive bear hug and Kate sort of freezing. You know. And I think for our American listeners, I think that's really hard to understand because it's a real inherent cultural thing with many English, particularly in the sort of arist- aristocratic classes, if you like, um, landed gentry and people like that. So therefore the royals, we generally aren't as demonstrative um, and as, as warm and as informal as as the wonderful Americans who, whom we love for all of that. But that's not how we do things. It's like, um, you know, we all sort of laugh a little bit about the lovely Americans coming on the tube train in, in London and then making conversation with the person next to them <laughs> quite normally because that's what you would do in America. However, in England, we back away very slowly and in, in England, dash we're out miserable. the sliding doors. <laughs> well, we, do, we think, yeah, I think there's something wrong, you know, that exactly, we don't go to yeah. attack us. It's just not done. So yeah. I think there are also many cultural differences as well. You know, I don't think Megan had done as much homework as she thought she had on all the subtle sensibilities and nuances of British etiquette, you know, culture, the family, everything. And this so is I this is particularly was, this was... true with the aristocracy, isn't it? I mean, it's it's probably totally yes. Americans who have experience of going to Britain and meet, meeting Londoners or British people who maybe aren't quite so high up the social hierarchy might not have necessarily <laughs> had this experience. But once you get to that, you know, aristocratic and then royal, it does get much more intense yes. doesn't it it does and of course the older generations well because everything is everything does change um yeah so that's a fun one <laughs> <laughs> Liz and Miranda it has been absolutely fantastic to have you on so thank you so much for joining me my pleasure there's so much more to talk about so perhaps I'll see you again oh, other please, time yes. I feel like we've just scratched the surface <laughs> fantastic thank you it's been really lovely and Take yes care. definitely again thanks so much Okay, I'm going to take one more quick break, but before I do, a reminder to follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jack underscore Royston. You will find all my latest stories for Newsweek. And when I'm back, Prince Harry's lawyers have been very busy recently and they are back in court again. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. 
Hi everyone and welcome back to the show. Now, Prince Harry is obviously suing some newspapers. Some of you may have gathered this. There's rather a lot of these cases. This time, though, he has Piers Morgan in his sights. The latest lawsuit is against Mirror Group newspapers, which publishes three UK tabloids. Quite big circulation ones. It's the Daily Mirror, the Sunday Mirror, and the Sunday People. Now, the Sunday People is not to be confused with the US magazine People, which is a totally different affair. Uh, Harry, essentially, is accusing the publisher of phone hacking at these titles. His lawyers say uh, that they targeted him with not just illegal and unlawful, but basically appalling um, intrusions into his privacy, dating back to 1995, which was the year before Charles and Diana finally divorced. It was while they were going through their separation. So um, Harry's allegations incorporate a whole load of royal family members, from Princess Diana to King Charles, uh, Prince William and Kate Middleton get a mention in the paperwork um, of his complaints. Uh, it's difficult to know right now exactly how much this is actually going to be dealt with at trial because this is taking a sample of his allegations, not every single one of them. But the whole thing has blown up today because specifically of what Harry is saying about Piers Morgan. Now, Piers Morgan was editor of the Daily Mirror in the past, and Harry is saying that as editor, he knew about phone hacking. He knew phone hacking was happening at his title done by his journalists. And one key piece of evidence is Omid Scobie, the author of Finding Freedom, the uh, hit's best-selling biography and a former guest on this podcast, has given a witness statement to the court saying that he was a work experience person at the Daily Mirror and the Sunday People. And during his time at both, he uh, witnessed firsthand people talking about phone hacking as a practice. So at the Sunday People, he said he was given a list of telephone numbers and given instructions on how to hack phones which he says he refused to do uh, because he viewed it as immoral. Um, Then he went on to the Daily Mirror where he said he heard uh, Piers Morgan as editor come over and ask one of the senior journalists how they had stood up a particular story that was going in the newspaper. And the response was, it's come from voicemails. So this is obviously potentially going to be a key piece of evidence during the trial, And if Harry is successful in proving that Piers Morgan knew that phone hacking was happening under his watch, that would obviously be a massive, massive victory for Harry in a battle against an age-old rival that's been going on for years now. For Piers Morgan, who has always denied phone hacking, um, says he's never hacked a phone and never instructed anybody else to hack a phone, obviously it would be a massive reputational blow. Some, I'm sure, would speculate that it could even lead to criminal prosecution. I don't know I necessarily agree. I think that there's very little will on the part of the police and the Crown Prosecution Service in Britain to pursue phone hacking charges now that the practice has stopped within the British media. The old original phone hacking cases were hugely resource intensive for the police. They had to pull officers off counter-terror investigations in order to prosecute those cases. And I just think that there's very little will to commit that level of resource now, especially because the Metropolitan Police is so much less well-funded now than it was back in kind of 2011, um, when and 12 and 13, 14, when all of these cases originally went through the courts. Since then, there have been massive cuts to public services, or in fact, during that time, there were massive cuts to public services, and the police have far less money and far fewer officers than they did at that time. So, a really, really big kind of clash of the titans here. Harry versus Piers Morgan. Uh, Piers Morgan, not one to ever keep quiet, has posted a sort of repost to all of this, which was he went on Twitter and he simply posted a screenshot from the South Park episode that satirizes Harry and Meghan. It's that one that you've probably all seen many, many times. It's uh, the prince and princess of Canada on a talk show holding up their kind of we want privacy banners um, while obviously doing an interview. So not really engaging with any of the allegations against him or offering any kind of factual information or evidence, but giving a kind of degree of clapback. It is going to be fascinating to watch it all play out. However, if you are looking forward to seeing or reading about Prince Harry's evidence, that is probably likely to be uh, the beginning of of June. So you're going to have to wait a little while, unfortunately. It's going to be that kind of first week of June that we get to see his 
case specifically because he's not the only claimant. They call them claimants in Britain, not plaintiffs, but he's not the only claimant. There's a number of other celebrities who are suing alongside him, so we will have to wait a little bit for that. It sounds like we might actually get evidence from Omid a little sooner than that, but we will have to wait and see. And that is it for this episode of The Royal Report. Be sure to join me every week when I visit the latest royal headlines, embark on some royal deep dives, and riff on all things royal. Until next time, I'm Jack Royston. Thanks for listening, everyone, and a curtsy to you all. Being a staple in American media for over 90 years, Newsweek now brings you an exceptional lineup of podcasts. The debate. They'll recognize how these policies aren't working. They'll feel the pain and they'll change their behavior. The Josh Hammer Show. Restore the principles and the political paradigms of the American founding. The Crystal Knight Show. Just because officers are black doesn't mean that the policing system still isn't inherently racist. Fast women. Chevy's actually doing really well and Honda's really not. Wow. (laughs) It's like the opposite of most people's perception of them. It is. The Parting Shot. Every year when the new nominations are announced, I get this excited, nostalgic feeling, and it brings out that little kid in me who just loved movies. The Royal Report. Harry and Meghan's head of comms has announced they now move forward to their kind of future outside the royal family. Newsweek Podcasts. New episodes drop weekly. Download or listen now at Newsweek.com or wherever you get your podcasts.